All right, we're going to turn in your books to Nahum. Turn to Nahum. We don't do much in the Old Testament very often, so we're going to read. We're not going to do, Nahum's a short prophecy, but um, it's the only one that calls itself a book, I might add. But we're not going to read the whole thing. I don't have time but for one chapter. So we're going to look at chapter 1, and then we'll talk about those things. Um, if you remember, this is a, a, a the burden against Nineveh. Um, now, the burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. Now, we don't know really where he's from. We don't know where Elko, Elko, Elkosh, whatever the name of that town is. We don't even know where it is. So it's, it, he's going to talk about Nineveh and uh, prophesy about Nineveh. Nineveh, the Lord is giving him this uh, burden, if you will. Uh, Nineveh, if you remember, Jonah went there reluctantly, but Jonah went there uh, during the reign of Jeroboam, about uh, 786, 745, somewhere in that range. And Nineveh had, the Assyrian Empire it was in a, a, a low point right then. They weren't as powerful as they had been. He, so he goes to them and talks repentance to them, and they do repent, And but we just don't know exact time of that. They repented at the preaching of Jonah, and, and when, when, when things got good for them again, they grew a little bit stronger. They went back to their, their old selves, uh, the brutal nation that they were. One of their great kings was Ashurbanipal. He's mentioned in, in Ezra. And his name is Osnapper in in um, in Ezra, but uh, history knows him as Ashurbanipal. Now he was uh, probably the last great king. Well, he was the last great king of Assyria, and he reigned from 669 BC until 631 BC. His father was Esarhaddon. Esarhaddon's father was Sennacherib. And Sennacherib, if you remember, tried wanted to take Jerusalem, but the Lord intervened, and 185,000 of of um, Ashurbanipal's grandfather's army was killed. And and Sennacherib goes back to uh, his home in, uh, I guess Nineveh. And sometime after that, a couple of his sons kill him, and then. Sennacherib's son, Esarhaddon, came to his throne, and then Ashurbanipal got the throne from Esarhaddon. Ashurbanipal is recognized as one of the most brutal of the Assyrian kings. He was bad. He's one of the few who described some of the massacres of civilians that he carried out, and he had many different methods of, of punishing people. Uh, like I say, they were brutal. Nahum prophesied sometime during this king of Assyria's reign. Um, and the thing about it was, there was no indication that Assyria was going to go away. That was the Babylon, Babylonians were going to actually de, uh, defeat them. But when Nahum gives this prophecy, they don't even know that. Now, Nineveh, is a long way from 
Jerusalem. It's a long way from Israel. There, it's just it's many miles. And the Assyrian Empire uh, went down from where Babylon is all the way. If you go to the Fertile Crescent all over this desert here, the Fertile Crescent all the way down into Egypt, on over into Turkey a little bit, and all the way down the, the Palestine into Egypt. So they were, they were a big deal. And they were the empire of the world, the strongest empire of the world for a number of years. The burden against Nineveh, we don't often use the word burden. We understand something heavy. But this burden means a denunciation in which God's going to give an object lesson um, out of a wicked subject. That subject was Assyria and this capital city of Nineveh. What's going to happen in this burden is the haughty, the Assyrians, are going to be humbled. And those that are oppressed are going to be liberated. And those that the cursed are going to be blessed. And the blessed are going to be cursed. That's what you see in uh, Nahum. The Assyrians uh, are guilty of extensive bloodshed, of extensive brutality, and of tyranny. Um, so they're they're not very they're not very good folks. So let's look at Nahum chapter one, verses two through five. Well, I'll read. Go ahead and read one with it. The burden against Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum the Elkoshite. God is jealous and the Lord avenges. The Lord avenges and is furious. The Lord will take vengeance on his adversaries and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power and will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm and in the clouds or the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither, and the flower of Lebanon wilts, the mountains quake before him, the hills melt, and the earth heaves at the presence, at his presence, yes, the world and all who dwell in it. So we see some things in here about God. God is jealous. He's jealous and he's furious. I think that that word furious is an interesting word. I get the image of somebody who just in, in our not the Lord, but in among us who might be just out of control and and he's gonna he's gonna damage people that's that's what I see in furious um, and he's gonna take vengeance on all of his adversaries and his enemies reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord, as we know, is slow to anger. For years and years and years, he will put up with something. But finally, it comes a point where he's just, he's going to do what he said he's going to do. He's already been sent a, a, a Jonah to Nineveh a great many years before this time. And Jonah didn't want to go. You remember the story. But he was convinced uh, by a series of events to go. 
and he preached repentance and Nineveh listened. But it wasn't long until they changed. So the Lord is slow to anger, but he's great in power. And he harnesses that power. He doesn't use that power at times. But when it's time, he's furious. And he's out for vengeance. And he does avenge. He is long-suffering, but he will not acquit those who are guilty. Assyria was an evil nation, and he is not going to let them all free. They will not uh, escape what's about to happen to them. The Lord has his way in the whirlwind, in the storm. The Lord, you, we understand whirlwind, tornadoes, storms that come up. They just A tornado is going to go whichever is the easiest route. It just does. And we don't know where it's going to go always. I, I, we watch the news and say, and the weathermen say it's, it's going up uh, north east and in our area and it might go further northeast than they expect we, we they would expect it and they're telling people to get in their safe place here and it goes over here to this place so we don't understand exactly what's going to happen in a tornado a hurricane either they can speculate but we don't know for sure but the lord has his way in the whirlwind and in the storm that and how would he not Considering who he is, he created all this. He sustains all this. It, it works because of the word of his power. <coughs> and so he's in charge, whether we realize this or not. The clouds are as, as they were the dust of his feet. I, you've been on a dusty path before. And see the puffs of dust comes up, come up when you walk. And that's the way the clouds are to him. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. If he wants to, that's what's going to happen. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. The, if we're in an earthquake, we're going to be as scared as the next person. We can't get out of that situation if we're in it at that moment. The hills melt. They, I think of a volcano and the overflowing of it sometimes and what happens. The devastation that happens when, that, uh, when it does break loose the earth heaves at his presence during those earthquakes and all who dwell in it are caught and at that moment there's nothing they can do in verse 6 Nahum 1 it says who can stand before his indignation and who can endure the fierceness of his anger his fury is poured out like fire, and the rocks are thrown down by him. Who can endure the fierceness of his anger? 
who can stand before his indignation? Who is going to put their shield up in front of the Lord and keep him from doing what he wants to do? Nobody. Who's going to take him on, we might say? Nobody. He's going to act when it's time for him to act. And nothing is going to help those that he's after. In Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 5, it says, Woe to Assyria, the rod of my anger, and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. Assyria was the rod of my anger. Assyria was an instrument that God used to punish the divided kingdom of Israel. They, Assyria, took them away captive and put other people in the place in what became known as Samaria and all the the land that the uh, kingdom of Israel possessed. So he he used uh, Assyria, but he's pronouncing a woe on them in Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 12. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Lord has performed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, that he will say, I will punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his haughty looks. That Assyria's king thought he was a powerful being. That he's the king of all the earth. He said, I am going to punish the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria. Rocks are thrown down back in Nahum. The rocks are thrown down. Rocks are split. They're broken apart, if you will. And who can do anything about it? He's going to work. He's going to do what he wants to do with his subjects. In verse 7, we see uh, a little different something. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. He created all of us. We are made in the likeness of God, in his image. We have a soul that's going to live forever in some way. Once we're born, we're stuck. We're we're in this for the rest of our lives. But the Lord is good. He's a stronghold. He's a, a means of protection for us. A place of safety in, in a dangerous situation is what a stronghold would be. A place of refuge. That's who he is. The power of God is also realized positively for his people. He knows the good from the evil. He knows his good people. In verse 7, the second part, and he knows those who trust in him. He knows the good from the evil, the ones that love him, the ones that don't. And he's going to treat the ones that don't differently than he treats the ones that love him. It's just going to happen. He knows those who take refuge in him. In verse 8, 
8 through 14. But with an overflowing flood, he will make an utter end of its place, and darkness will pursue his enemies. What do you conspire against the Lord? He will make an utter end of it. Affliction will not rise up a second time, for with while tangled like thorns and while drunken like, while drunken like drunkards, they shall be devoured like the stubble fully dried. From you comes forth one who plots evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor, a counselor of Belial, as your foot, a footnote might say. Thus says the Lord, though they are safe and likewise many, yet in this manner they will be cut down when he passes through. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. For now I will break off his yoke from you and burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a command concerning your, you. Your name shall be perpetuated no longer. Out of the house of your God I will cut off the carved images and the molded images. I will dig your grave, for you are vile, or you are contemptible. John might remember, Wanda might remember, and we're probably, Sandra and me, we're probably the only ones that were here before the tin tom was fixed up like it is now. And it used to flood here. It used to flood big time here. I'm getting nods from people who have lived through that. And I was one time I was in the National Guard, and we were in boats. Some of us were at Lee Mall, believe it or not. And going up Old Aberdeen Road, which is just across from Lee Mall, Old Aberdeen Road in a boat, getting people out of trailers. That's the water. That's what happened in Columbus, Mississippi. I, I saw it. I was part of it, getting folks out. You think of an overflowing flood, and there's not a thing you can do about it. It's there. You can't put a brick wall up right quick, stop it. It's not going to happen. That's what's going to happen to Assyria. There, it will be like an overflowing flood that's going to totally destroy them. They're remnant, you know, things didn't dissolve and completely destroyed when the, the Tom Bigby River flooded back in the day. It didn't do that. Um, but we can still use them all today, and we still drive up old Aberdeen Road occasionally. But Assyria is not going to be that lucky. Assyria is going to go away, and it's going to be darkness. Assyria and Nineveh will be completely devastated. Complete, total destruction is going to happen to them. So what are you going to conspire against the Lord? Look how, look at you. Who are you, who am I, that thinks that I can turn back the will of God? We might say today, you got nothing. It just ain't going to happen. Assyria is going down. They are vulnerable, and it's going to be shown. And the thing about it is Assyria is never going to come back from this. Assyria is going to go away from the stage of history. As a matter of fact, if uh, and I didn't look this up, but I remember reading a long time ago, in the 1800s or something, they, the people thought that the Bible was that never had been in Assyria. They didn't, it was, there is no Assyria. 
And so the Bible's wrong. It's a good thing people did excavations and still do because they found the Assyrian Empire. They found it. And now they tell me you can get a doctorate in Assyriology. That's how much they found. That the, that the Bible was right all along and man was wrong. God says, I'm going to destroy them, and they're never going to come back. Their name will never be perpetuated again. And guess what? Nineveh is a ruin still today, just like Babylon. Destroyed, completely destroyed, and it's, they've got diggings around it and found many things. I will cut off the carved image in verse 14 and the molded image. He's talking about their religious belief now. It's all for naught. I'm going to destroy those two along with everything else. It's all going to be gone. But look at Nahum 1 verse 15. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings, who proclaims peace. O Judah, keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through you. He is utterly cut off. Assyria is not going to use uh, the Palestine area, the Holy Land area as we call it today, or as it is called today. It, they won't be using that for a highway. They won't be traveling with an army going through there anymore because they're going to be gone. We, under, we recognize part of verse 15. Behold on the mountains the feet of him who brings good tidings. That is used in the New Testament, the, the, the ones who, blessed are the ones who bring the good news uh, of, about Christ, the preachers. God's telling them, he said, there's going to be a messenger coming over the mountains that can tell you all about this, all about what happened to Assyria. This is good news. So keep your appointed feast, perform your vows, for the wicked one shall not pass through you again. It's a time of celebration when Assyria is gone. That they will, they're not going to bother you again. They won't be that thorn in the flesh, if you will, or that, that uh, a nuisance to you. They're gone. So it's joyful news, and there's a reason for celebration. So that's what he tells them to do. And some people say, well, why would you celebrate Someone uh, that's going to be totally killed. All of them just dead. Let me read something to you. One of the kings of Assyria, his name is, I don't know, Asher, Nars- Asher Nasipal, uh number two. He wrote some things in his annals, and he described uh, the spirit of the the deeds that he did, and this is how the Assyrian kings were. I had this to put on the screen for full effect, but anyway, he says, I built a pillar over against his city gate, whatever city, I don't know. And I flayed all the chief men who had revolted, and I covered the pillar pillar with their skins. So we know what flaying the skins mean. That's what them Indians used to do to white men. They'd cut them off, cut the skins off. And so he covered the pillars with the skins. 
And some of the pillars, uh, and some I walled up within the pillar. He would have a part of a pillar, finish it, with, and have people inside it. And then he would flay those people, the other people, and put cover that pillar with the, uh, the skins. And it's like, ugh. And some upon the pillar I, uh, on stakes I impaled, and others I fixed to stakes round about the pillar. Many within the border of my own land I flayed, and I spread their skins upon the walls. I cut off the limbs of the high officers and the royal, high royal officers who had rebelled. Many captives from among them I burned with fire, and many I captured alive. From some I cut off their hands and their fingers, and from others I cut off their noses and their ears, and the eyes of many men I pulled out. I put out, rather, not pulled out. I made one heap of the living, another of the heads. I bound their heads to vines around the, about the city. Their young men and maidens I burned with fire. Rome perfected the art of crucifixion. They were the best at it. Assyria began it. They, were, they started this. Others I fixed to stakes around the pillar. That's, 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 what, that's crucifixion. They, that's what they did. They started it, and they, but Rome perfected it. And so this is why they, they should celebrate because this kind of brutality from the Assyrians won't happen again. It's over. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. <coughs> Nahum himself didn't go to Nineveh, but he is prophesying to the people of Judah about Nineveh and Assyria. He's not just passing out some information. I mean, this is, I thought you might want to know this. This is not news. This is reason for celebration. This is also something that they can take this information and use it because Judah was, in the Lord's eyes, although not as brutal, was just like them. They were not serving God. And if they would take this information and think, he's doing that. You remember the molded images and the carved images were destroyed? If Israel was doing some of that. Judah, Israel went uh, uh, captive because they were doing that. And Assyria is the tool that was used. And Judah is doing the same thing. So this is a lesson for them. If they would be mindful, the things that happen to Assyria, if we don't watch out, can happen to us. They should think. And so there are some things that would help us from this. It would help them, and it will help us. God's a jealous God. God wants our devotion. Not he doesn't want just this. He just not the thought process. I know who you are, and you're my savior. He wants devotion, not just in name. Any and all people who are adversaries and enemies of God, he's going to punish. Any 
whoever it might be, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Romans, God's people. They all suffered because of the Lord, because they weren't doing what God wanted them to do. In Philippians chapter 3.18, For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. That those who don't serve him are enemies. Enemies of God. And we don't think about that. We just, we sometimes just do our thing. I got tomorrow. Maybe. Maybe you don't. But if we're not serving him, we're enemies of his. And it's not, it's not a gray area. Like we were talking about in class, it's, it's the, the black and the white, the good and the evil. That's, if you're not serving him, you're an enemy. If we're not serving him, we're enemies. If I'm not serving him, I'm his enemy. Anything that takes our affection away from God makes him a jealous God. Because he's looking for us to be like him. Our relation is a relationship of exclusivity for him and him alone. And that's what he's looking for. The jealous, the, this jealousy thing here, it means to experience strong envy and resentment even to anger. God has enough. And then he gets to work and he does what he says he's going to do ask Assyria ask Babylon ask Judah in verse 8 the Lord is good a stronghold in the day of trouble and he knows those who trust in him Jerry mentioned something in class he was talking about something he said yada 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 and, and I heard, you hear that all the time. Uh, you'll hear people having, telling, correcting somebody about something, and uh, they'll turn that smart mouth on and say, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. That word yada is a biblical word. It's a Hebrew word. It is the word knows in the, New, in the Old Testament. God knows yada those who trust in him. So you might want to be careful about that. Uh, I don't know. But God knows those who trust in him by observation. About, he knows me by what I say. He knows me, me by what I do. He knows me by what I think. That's the scary part right there. That's the scary part. He knows my thought process. He knows what I have on my mind right now, this second, and what I'm going to do, what my intentions are later, my plans. He knows all that. He knows if I trust in him. He knows those who trust in him. God knows if I trust in money. If I trust in things money can buy, he knows all that. He knows if I love this world. Love as in this is my this is where I want to be. Like like Lot's wife. He knows that. Verse 
the Lord, in verse 3, the Lord has his way in the whirlwind, in the storm, and the clouds or the dust of his feet. The, the Lord's going to have his way. In Nahum, no one nor anything could stop the judgment against Nineveh. The Lord's going to have his way. The events in world history, all the things that could happen, couldn't happen to keep Jesus from coming. It was going to happen. And it was going to happen because we need it. I need it. I needed. I need the Lord. And Satan could not prevent Jesus from coming. And so Satan says, I'll kill him. And he worked through people to do just that. And guess what? That was the plan all along. Nobody knew it. No, Satan didn't know it. Nobody here on earth knew it that we can kill Jesus and get out of the influence of God. That was God's plan. And it was all in his plan. The Lord's going to have his way. He's going to reward those who change the way they live and live for him. Those will be rewarded. He's going to have his way. He's a, that's a promise for us. That's a promise that if I serve God, he'll reward me. It's also a promise that if I don't, if I don't give in to him, if I'm stubborn like a lot of us are at times, that he's going to greatly punish those because they're enemies of his. That's just the way it is. That's what he wanted people of Israel to think about. I'm going to kill these people. I'm going to destroy the whole empire because they were cruel to you. You better listen. You better listen yourself, Judah. That came about, by the way. God loves us, no doubt about it. We're his creation. We're made in the image of God. But we failed living up to that image. And sin has been a separation between us and God. In Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. I mean, he can do anything. I can hear you. He can, I mean, God, he can hear you. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. That if that's between us and God, sin, that means there's a separation between God and me. And God's not going to change. The only changing has to be done is me to bring me back to God. And that's taking care of those sins. He loves us. He gives us this opportunity to change the way we live. And I, and I keep thinking the way we live. I keep thinking about Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Do not be conformed to this will. Don't shape yourself. Mold your mind and your, your doings and your thoughts to the world, but be transformed. Transformed to look like, he said, imitate me as I also, Paul says, you imitate me as I also imitate Christ. We imitate Christ. 
transform ourselves, not to look like the world, but to look like the Lord. That's what he's looking for. And so God brought relief to his people, us, through Jesus Christ. Jesus wasn't around when Nahum was written. But there are lessons for us from the Old Testaments that we can change just like they could change. He's helping us with Scripture to realize that things don't have to be just like they are. That we can reshape ourselves into instead of enemies being disciples of his. Repentance for Assyria way back when was a wonderful thing. This great city. And it changed them. And they said, if, if they don't change, God's going to destroy them. They changed. They went back to the world. You remember Demas? He's forsaken me having loved this present world. You go back to it. Don't, don't, don't go back. That's deadly. Don't go back. If you need the Lord, and we all do. If you need to obey the Lord, and we all do, why don't you come right now while we stand and while we sing?